You all know what you have to do. Remember, no one, and I mean no one, comes into our house and pushes us around. That proved to be the case this past Saturday as Kansas State held serve on its home field and defeated arch-rival Kansas 47-27 on senior day. The win did much more than secure the Governor's Cup for the 14th consecutive season for your Wildcats. It clinched them a spot in the Big 12 championship game. The win moved K-State to 9-3 overall, 7-2 in conference games. They are all alone in second place. No tiebreakers needed here. It is as cut and dried as I said it was going to be. You didn't have to worry about the Texas-Baylor result. Bared itself out, obviously, over the course of this Thanksgiving day, uh, Thanksgiving weekend of football. And the Wildcats will now have an opportunity in a rematch with TCU to claim their third Big 12 crown. This is the College and Kimball podcast. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart. What a scene it was at Bill Snyder Family Stadium this past Saturday. A sold-out crowd, an electric atmosphere despite a persistent rain shower that lasted throughout the course of the evening. Your Wildcats handled business. They were not about to be denied on their home field. They were not about to be denied on senior day. They were certainly not about to be denied against the University of Kansas. And they were not about to be denied with an opportunity to go and compete for a Big 12 championship. Credit to... So many people within the veneer complex on a number of different fronts. First and foremost, I I hate that I even have to address it, but the social media smear campaign started by people within KU Twitter circles was despicable this week. Absolutely deplorable. You had people talking about Chris Kleiman being inextricably linked to the Nebraska job, that Gene Taylor was going to be stepping down, that Will Howard was on his deathbed. He wasn't going to be able to play. All of these rumors put out by people who are not in media, who are not beholden to any entity if they spread misinformation, it all proved to be total bullshit. And a quick PSA to K-State fans who are gullible enough to buy into it. You got to stop. Anybody who has any tie to the University of Kansas, who has any thought about our university, our athletic programs, our coaches, our players, and everything in between, their thoughts on our school are meaningless. They have no value. These are miserable human beings who are doing nothing but attempting to antagonize K-State fans by spreading lies pay these people no mind whatsoever. Let them hold that 20-point L. Next item I want to touch on that played into the stress leading up to this one was the waiting game. We all know this game typically kicks off at 11 in the morning. It's broadcast on Fox Sports 1. It has no impact in the Big 12 championship race. It certainly does not resonate on the national scene in college football. Really the only thing the Sunflower Showdown has amounted to be here at least over the last decade or so, has been an opportunity, one, for Kansas State to flex flex its muscles over the in-state rival, to maintain its stranglehold on the Governor's Cup, and from the fan perspective, avoid 
a catastrophic and embarrassing loss to a Kansas program that at least prior to this season was abysmal. That's really all this game has amounted to be. That wasn't the case this year. This game got the primetime slot, 7 o'clock, Fox proper. You had Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman on the call. It was a great showcase opportunity for Kansas State, for the Big 12 Conference. And the tough aspect of that, though, as I said, waiting throughout the course of all the games on Friday, waiting throughout the course of all the games on Saturday, seeing all the results unfold, you watch Iowa with an opportunity to go to the Big Ten Championship, spit the bit at home against a down-and-out Nebraska team. You see NC State go into Chapel Hill and up in North Carolina, a team that's looking to finish the regular season with 10 wins and, and all but secure a spot in a New Year's Six Bowl. Saturday morning, Clemson hosting South Carolina, the Tigers with an outside shot to to get into the college football playoff discussion. South Carolina coming off of that huge emotional upset victory over Tennessee. And Shane Beamer gets his guys to rally emotionally and mentally get up, and he pulls off the unprecedented upset first time in South Carolina program history that they've defeated AP top 10 teams in back-to-back weeks. You see all of the upsets happen. You see teams losing out on all these opportunities, and you start to have that thought enter into the back of your mind. Oh, man, are, are we going to be part of the trend this week? Are we going to be the big favorite at home that that gags it against our rival? Didn't end up being the case. And the, the final point I want to raise as far as that goes, I, I know K-State fans, we have been conditioned to, to expect bad things to happen when the lights get bright, and, and that's no indictment directed solely at Chris Kleiman. This was something Bill Snyder teams were, were notorious at as well. And his record against AP top 10 teams would bear that out. You think about all those really solid K-State teams, the Wildcats put on the field in the 90s that were just going out and getting smacked around by those Tom Osborne, Nebraska squads, those really good Rick Neuheisel, Colorado teams, some Mac Brown, Texas teams. K-State is just never really consistently put forth its best foot when the lights get bright and the stage is really big. That's just kind of been the way this program has been. It's it's popped some teams, don't get us wrong. It's popped teams when it's not expected. And Chris Kleiman's done that countless times. Think about all those wins against Oklahoma that he's picked up. This was a unique spot for your Wildcats, being the double-digit favorite at home, not only needing to, but being expected to win and punch its ticket to the Big 12 championship game. There's a small segment of this fan base that gets beyond agitated. One, when this team loses big national stage games, you think earlier this year, the loss in Fort Worth to TCU, the game at home against Texas when you could have eliminated the Longhorns from Big 12 title contention. And two, those are the same fans who also think this program and a majority of the fan base as well takes the KU game too seriously. We put too much stock into a game that has no national relevance. We need to be more focused on these games against Oklahoma, Texas, TCU, winning those types of games to get you better time slots for future Big 12 games, to get you recognition nationally, to get you on SportsCenter, this, that, and the other, whatever the reason might be. And it's hard to argue to the contrary, at least looking back at the last 
15 years of this rivalry. Yes, absolutely. A win over Oklahoma or a win over TCU carried far more weight than a win over a hapless Kansas team that was likely winning one to two games at the most. But you have to acknowledge the elephant in the room here. And I know every K-State fan that's listening to this is going to hate to say, hate to hear me say it, but Lance Leipold looks to be a good coach and looks to have KU trending in the right direction. Prior to this season, the, uh, excuse me, the previous four years prior to this season, the Jayhawks were a combined eight and 37 with just three conference wins. And Lance Leipold had them at six and five and three and five in big 12 play going into the sunflower showdown. That's a pretty remarkable feat. You can acknowledge that KU has made improvements, but in the same breath, you can also be positive about what Chris Kleiman and the staff have accomplished to date and be bullish about the upper trajectory of this program, who, which is going to be competing for a Big 12 championship here this coming Saturday, December 3rd, and is looking like it might be able to cobble together a top 25 recruiting class for the first time in a long time. Both things can be true here, and the Sunflower Showdown might be the game that takes on more weight nationally in the coming years. You, you, you can't skirt that, and frankly, if, if that does occur, that's great for the Big 12, and honestly, it's going to feel a lot better when you beat KU if those fans are a little bit more invested than they've been historically. And that's why this game this past Saturday was so gratifying to me to hear all the squawking in the, the days leading up to the game, this high-powered, high-flying KU offense that's averaging 7.2 point, uh, excuse me, 7.2 yards per play, best in the Big 12, scores it at will, is going to just run and pass all over this K-State defense. Wasn't about to happen. And frankly, I think a big element or a big variable in that, I should say, is the fact that this game does mean so much to Kansas State, that there are 55 Kansas kids on the roster who understand the significance and likely reiterated it countless times to their teammates who hail from outside the Sunflower State. I think that was a big reason why you saw those guys come out a little extra motivated. They got KU down with the haymaker early to get them down 23-7. to And frankly, the Jayhawks were never in a position to truly climb out of that hole. Yes, there were points in the game where it felt a little bit tense as a K-State fan, but at least in my mind, I, I took a macro look at it at one point and said, KU's down nine. Are they going to score the touchdown, get the stop, then score the other touchdown to take the lead in this game? I, I, didn't, I just didn't really ever feel like that was on the table. K-State had done enough on offense in recent weeks and obviously in the first quarter of that game for me to say, you know what, we're in pretty firm control of this game. If you look at the ESPN game cast and, and look at game control, that bears it out as well. The outcome was never really in doubt. And your Wildcats, frankly, they left points on the field when they when Zentner had to kick that field goal. You had the, the KU forced uh, the Will Howard fumble that, took seven points off the board before halftime. The Wildcats could have twisted the knife at the end of that one. They leaned on the Jayhawks, had almost 150 rushing yards in the fourth quarter, could have tried to punch one more in if they wanted to. Uh, Chris Kleiman is more of a sportsman than I. But at the end of the day, 
You might hear your KU buddies chirping about it, saying that they think they're close. They're better, yeah, but the best KU team over the last 15 years still lost by 20 points, and frankly, K-State could have beaten them by a much wider margin. With all that being said, let's go ahead and take a look at some of the numbers from this game. Not surprisingly, K-State outgaining KU by a pretty wide margin in this contest. 443 yards of offense for the Cats on 63 snaps. That's seven yards per play. KU with an equal number of snaps, but just 307 yards of total offense for the Hawks. Only 4.9 yards per play. They came into this game averaging a Big 12 best 7.22 yards per snap. So Klanderman's group really did a tremendous job, particularly after intermission. They made some great adjustments in limiting KU in the second half. Rushing, K-State almost doubles up KU in this department, 230 to 127. Cats averaged 5.5 yards per carry to KU's just 4.2. Again, the Hawks were averaging a Big 12 best, 5.87 yards per carry coming into the game. Klanderman's group holding them, again, significantly lower than their season average there. Passing-wise, your Wildcats, 213 yards through the air. Not the best day for Will Howard, or at least the Will Howard we've come to know here in recent weeks. He goes just 11 of 21, but does throw for better than 10 yards per attempt, almost 20 yards per completion, 19.4 to be exact. Also has a couple of touchdowns to his name and no interceptions. On the flip side for KU, Only 180 yards through the air. This was the Big 12's best pass efficiency attack, and they only averaged 5.5 yards per attempt in this game. Jalen Daniels, really limited in the second half, uh, was, I won't say reluctant to run. I I think that did impact somewhat of, of what KU attempts to do on offense. But the Wildcats secondary and linebackers did a terrific job in eliminating some of those openings down the field that KU was connecting on in the first two quarters of play. Really the only offense that KU had in the second half came on that saga of a drive, that 16 play 75 yard drive. It was an Alex Smith circa 2016 drive where Jalen Daniels is just literally four yards, five yards at a time leading KU down the field. And they needed three third down convert, uh, excuse me, conversions and one fourth down conversion just to draw to within 37 to 27 at that point. The game's still a two score margin there. K-State then scores on its next possession to go back up 40 to 27, gets KU three and out and then tacks on one more touchdown for the insurance there. Again, the game pretty firmly in the Wildcats control throughout the course of the second half. And I'd say a lot of the credit needs to go the way of Klanderman and company. I loved the adjustments that they made after halftime. Time of possession favors KU, 31 minutes to 29 for Kansas State. Money downs in this game, KU 6 of 12, 1 of 1 on 4th down. K-State 7 of 13 on 3rd, 1 of 1 on 4th. Red zone scoring, KU a perfect 4 for 4. All four of those were touchdowns. K-State, though, 6 of 6 inside the KU, 25 touchdowns. And settling for one field goal. The big story, though, points off of turnovers in this one. The Wildcats recovered two fumbles, turned both of those extra possessions into K-State touchdowns. KU forced a fumble on a possession that was likely going to result in points for the Wildcat offense. The Jayhawks, though, unable to do anything with that free 
possession. So you have a 14-0 edge there in points off of turnovers, and K-State also forced the safety on the hold in the end zone. So some unconventional scoring and some miscues by KU loom large in, in helping the Wildcats build that early lead. Individually, if this was Deuce Vaughn's final game as a Wildcat, it was a tremendous night on which to go out. He has 147 yards on the ground, one touchdown as well. It was a nicely designed misdirection flip on a fourth down and goal to go play. That touchdown made it 37 to 21 after the PAT there midway through the third quarter. Deuce also had the 80 yard catch and run on the screen pass. That drive later resulted in a K-State touchdown as well. You total it all up here. It's 27 touches for Deuce this past Saturday. 229 yards all-purpose. Deuce was Deuce, man. I, I don't know what else I can say about him that hasn't already been said. His, his 1,295 yards this season ranks 7th most in school history. This, is, this was his 7th 100-yard game of the season. Deuce was Deuce, and, and as I said, if this was his final outing as a Wildcat, man, we're going to miss him, but I, I certainly love and appreciate everything that he did in a Wildcat uniform and just making opposing defenses look silly, and, and the good news is, though, we still get him for two more, at least two more games here, and two more games with some pretty big stakes. Other individuals I wanted to talk about here, Malik Knowles, and it wasn't receiving the ball, as you might have assumed. Uh, he had three carries in this game and two touchdowns. Coordinators clearly saw something uh, where KU was vulnerable in, in terms of the, the jet sweep, fly sweep game, and, and they exploited that. That was how K-State got the scoring started. Malik, after the Wildcats recovered that fumble following the muffed punt, took one around the left end for a touchdown, also had one late stages of the game, to score and put, uh, really, it was the 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 29-yard run on what was the the knockout drive for all intents and purposes. After K-State had gone up 40 to 27, KU had just punted the ball away, and Malik started that final drive there with a 29-yard burst, and then it was ultimately DJ Giddens who really finished this one off for Kansas State. And he's another one I want to talk about here. He has nine carries for 44 yards in the game. The 4.9 average is not obviously going to jump off the page, but man, is he not a great wear you down type of back? You don't want to see 6'2", 220 coming at you in the fourth quarter after the K-State O-line has been beating you up for, for three quarters. And I know the O-line didn't necessarily have its best outing. Uh, obviously, you had... Deuce Vaughn hitting the explosive early at a 32-yard run in this game. But really, KU's defense did a much better job than I expected at tackling in space. We saw that really on just on that first series where Will Howard found Deuce on a little angle route. And I don't recall the name of the defender for KU who came up and just made a, a tremendous tackle in open field. And, and you saw that throughout the game from the KU defense. They were far more locked in than I expected them to be, but they also had some pretty la <laughs> horrible mental breakdowns. Uh, one of those coming on a touchdown catch for Sammy Wheeler. He could have fair caught that thing. There was nobody, nobody around him in that vicinity. It was <laughs> when Will Howard uncorked that one, I was, you, you typically see a DB in the frame, and there was just nobody. 
I, I have no idea, but that was clearly a coverage bust on KU. Again, mental mistakes costing the Jayhawks in this game, and that's, again, another reason why if KU fans want to tell you that they're getting close, you can't be pulling that kind of shit and hoping to beat a what is now a top 10 team on the road. A um, couple of other efforts I'll mention here. Will Howard does a really good job spreading the ball around in this game. Targeted seven guys, and all seven of those guys had receptions in this game. Uh, two apiece for Vaughn, Brooks, Cade, Malik. One catch each for Sammy Wheeler, Ben Sennett, and DJ Giddens. Didn't see Ben Sennett pop off the way that we have here over the last couple of weeks. Pretty concerted effort, obviously, by the KU linebacker core to make sure he was pretty well bottled up in the passing game. But others obviously coming through in a big way for the K-State offense. And and, and as I said, Will Howard did a fine job in, in spreading the ball around. Wasn't his best outing. Missed a couple of throws here and there. Pocket presence was not great in this one. And again, if you're if you're feeling a little fluish and, and you also have the added element of the rain and everything, and, and I think that was obviously why he got strip-sacked from behind on that drive that was going to put K-State up 37-21 to, to 21 going into the locker room. Holding on to the ball a little too long and... and you know, just some things that you need to get cleaned up. And, and Will's been been great at that throughout the course of this season. And I'm not too worried about that being a, a problem problem. He, he's clearly taken huge strides in his game. And I think he'll be more than live and ready to go when the Wildcats square off with TCU in the rematch here in the next couple of days. So that is the book on it for the Kansas State offense. Defensively, again, it was... Very much like the West Virginia game. KU, though, much more feast or famine than West Virginia. The Mountaineers moved it with a little bit more consistency. Uh, That was not the case from KU. They were either putting it in the end zone or they were putting it away immediately to Kansas State. Drive chart for KU looks like this. 11 possessions for the Jayhawks. Nine plays, 75 yards, opening drive, touchdown. Second possession, two plays, they lose five yards. That results in the safety for Kansas State. Next possession, though, 11 plays, 75-yard touchdown, 7 plays, 75-yard touchdown, 3 plays, punt, 3 plays, punt, 3 plays, punt, 3 plays, fumble lost. Then it's the 16 plays, 75-yard touchdown. Then the final two possessions, though, for KU at winning time in the fourth quarter, 3 plays, punt, 3 plays, punt. I, I wasn't happy with the first half effort. I felt like Luke Grimm got behind the secondary a little too often. Wasn't super happy about that. Um, Jalen Daniels made a couple of plays with his feet to keep drives alive. K-State really didn't generate much of a pass rush. They weren't creating a lot of negative plays. That safety came on a hold in the end zone, so it wasn't as if the Wildcats actually sacked Jalen Daniels or or, or tackled any KU running back behind the line of scrimmage. The havoc rate for K-State in this game uh, was not great. It was just 11% for the Wildcats. On, uh, on the 63 defensive snaps, we only see K-State generate four tackles for loss, one forced fumble, and two pass breakups. So just seven Havoc plays on 63 snaps for the Wildcat defense. But in the same breath, I, I will say, again, I touched on the adjustments made in the second half. I felt like they really did negate, uh, not totally, but did narrow some of those passing windows 
uh, on either side of the hash. I felt like that's where KU was doing their damage, getting the ball out wide to Luke Grimm or whoever it might have been. Lawrence Arnold, uh, their big deep threat who came into the game averaging 17.84 yards per reception. That's one of the better marks in the Big 12, fourth uh, uh, among qualifying receivers. He is limited in this game pretty significantly. He only ends up in this contest with four catches on five targets, just 26 yards. So credit to the K-State secondary in that sense. And really, KU doesn't generate a ton of chunk plays in this one. Uh, just the 133-yarder to Grimm. And then Torrey Lachlan got behind K-State for 20. Uh, beyond that, though, it, it was a whole lot of short stuff. And, and frankly, once the Wildcats had built that early lead, Leipold seemed to go a little bit more conservative in, in the second half with his play calling, uh, not wanting to run the risk of some incompletions on some deeper shots. And, and I think... Jalen Daniels was starting to tighten up a little bit too when K-State was up 16 because he was like throwing back and ripping darts on, on just really easy pitch and catch underneath throws. And that was all KU really did on that that long drive that resulted in a touchdown, that 16-play drive. The Wildcats were, were saying, hey, we're not going to give you anything to field side or to, to boundary side. If you want to move this ball, you're just going to have to throw a little five, eight yarders to Jared Casey and Mason Fairchild. And, and they did that and they moved it down the field and they, they needed to convert three third downs, one fourth down. And, and even after doing all of that, they end up with the touchdown and it still remains a two possession game because they failed to score on the two point conversion. And in effect, they also ate up over eight minutes of game time. So in effect, they likely cost themselves a, a possession potentially or two, depending on how quickly K-State could, could have scored or how quickly K-State could have potentially been stopped. So that drive that KU had didn't really amount to much of anything. Again, it was just the one, the first of the three events that they were going to need to get back into this game and truly make K-State sweat, sweat. They never really did that. And, while you don't like the 27 points allowed, you also have to look at this in terms of the second half defense. And man, if you go back over the last five games here, you obviously blank Oklahoma State, so no points allowed in the second frame, uh, the the third and fourth frame in that game. You get down 31 to 10 against Texas and only give up three though in the second half of that ball game. Baylor, no points in the second half for the Bears. West Virginia in that chaotic game in Morgantown, they only get six points in the second half. And then this past Saturday, KU, again, one of the more prolific offenses in the conference, they only get six points in the second half. And, and this, too, was, again, with K-State being down a couple of bodies in the secondary. So the fact that the Wildcats still managed to come through and limiting this KU, this vaunted KU offense, to just six points and the fact that they, the Wildcats have clamped down their last five opponents and only surrendering 15 second half points, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. And, and again, I think the bigger takeaway in all that is the fact that defense in, in, in college football now, and particularly in this version of the big 12, which is as balanced as it's ever been. And, and there is certainly no easy out in this league you're, you're going to have nights like this where you're just going to give up some points and, and you might have to outscore some folks. And, and to that point, K-State's offense, what it's done since Will Howard has really taken over, 
they've done just that. The, the offense has absolutely picked up the slack. If the defense has gotten gashed on a couple of possessions and the defense to that point has in a way reciprocated in the second half by, by making, again, the requisite adjustments and clamping down on these opposing offenses. So props to Klanderman's group. And I got to give a shout out as well to VJ Payne, man, the freshman knowing he was going to be asked to step up in a big way after the season-ending injury sustained by Sincere Mason against West Virginia, Kobe Savage the week prior against Baylor. Those guys can obviously help you during the week in preparation with film study and whatnot, but when the bullets are flying, it's on you. And he delivered in a big way. He tied for the team, uh, tied for second on the team, I should say, with eight tackles this past Saturday. Austin Moore also with eight stops for the K-State defense. He uh, carded one of the few tackles behind the line of scrimmage for your Cats. Drake Cheatham does lead the way, though, for the mob. Ten stops for him. Also forced a fumble in this game. K-State cashed that in for a touchdown a couple plays later. Julius Brents, Echo Boido, fine on the corner spots. No qualms with their performance this past Saturday. A better outing from Josh Hayes. Not Great, not the one that we saw against Baylor, but a much better performance than what he had against West Virginia. I, I talked about it as well. The pass rush, not necessarily noticeable this past week. I, I think that had much more to do, though, with what KU does on offense. It's a, it's a, an attack that's predicated a lot on timing and getting the ball out quickly. And, and you really have to be a special kind of disruptive to blow up gaps and, and, and wreck plays in a hurry. And I, again, I, I have no concerns with what King Felix and, and and Pickle and Huggins and Matlack and all those guys, I know they can get in and wreck shop when, when push comes to shove. And I know that they can make life difficult on offensive lines. And I have no doubt that they'll be wanting to go out and do that against TCU. Now, before we kind of wind things down here, I, I do want to mention also, this was a great complimentary outing by Kansas State. Specials had a, a significant role in the outcome of this game. And to that point, I got to give one more shout out here. Uh, Malik Knowles, we really haven't seen him bust many big ones in the return game. And he actually comes through with a new career high in kick return yards in this one, 135. And, and truthfully, the the one of the bigger plays of the game after K-State's defense thwarts KU on the two-point conversion, and you still got this one at that point to 37-27, to 27, and you're still feeling reasonably good about where this game is headed, and you're feeling good about the Wildcats being in, in, in control of the contest. What's going to happen next? Is KU going to try and onside this? Are they going to try and pooch it? What are they going to do next? Well, they end up kicking it deep to Malik, and he rips off one of his better returns of the season. 69 yards covered on the return to get it down to the KU 31, and then the Wildcats ultimately end up getting a field goal on that drive. They have a, a false start, unfortunately, by KT Leviston on a fourth down and goal to go play. The Wildcats settle for three to make it 40-27. to 27. Then, as we already touched on, three and out for the KU offense. They punt it right back, and then K-State hammers them with the final nail in the coffin with a eight-play, 85-yard touchdown drive that eats up four minutes. And again, it was a whole lot of running on that final drive. Great job by the K-State offense to finish this thing off. 
One other thing I'll mention as far as the offense goes, after the game this past Saturday, the offense entered the top 10 in school history in a number of different categories. The total amount of yards produced, 5,058, ranks 8th in K-State history. And the season rushing total of 2,520 yards moved into 10th in school history. And the 206 completions on the year moved into 7th in school history. 19 passing touchdowns tie for 9th in school history. I can't say enough about what Colin Klein did. And man, the the, the 180 that occurred after the two-lane game, I think we were all just resigned to the fact that this was going to maybe be a bowl team at best if that was the best version of the offense that we were going to get. And lo and behold, here's Tulane going out and winning 10 games on the season and getting to host the AAC championship game. And then we see this dimension of this offense unlocked and we, nobody ever expected it. But man, what a job by Colin Klein in, in his first year as, as OC and more showing that he's more than deserving uh, of this title and this status so early in his career. And I think also what we, we as K-State fans are likely all hoping and projecting for sometime down the road that he does become a head coach and who knows, maybe he will be the head coach of our Wildcats one day. But if this is, to paraphrase the great Mitch Holtis, a prelude of things to come. Obviously, great things forthcoming from this K-State offense with some of the talent that's going to be coming in here with this next recruiting class, which is just loaded with stars for Kansas State, particularly from the Sunflower State. We all know about Avery Johnson, but don't sleep on some of the other guys in this class that are going to be coming in for the Cats. So I think I pretty well covered the 121st installment of the Sunflower Showdown. Again, your Wildcats handily defeating the Jayhawks 47-27. to Make it 14 in a row now for K-State over KU. The Wildcats have taken 26 of the last 30 meetings in the series. The Governor's Cup will remain in Manhattan. More importantly than all of the aforementioned, K-State earned the right to compete for a Big 12 championship. The K-State TCU rematch is on December 3rd, Jerry World. K-State students, props to you guys. I got to give you a shout out, not just for showing out in the rain and sticking it out through crappy conditions on Saturday, but also showing up at Bramwich to go and buy up all of the allotted tickets. K-State's already requested additional student tickets. No doubt there will be plenty of K-State purple flooding the Metroplex for this ball game. You think about it, this has really been the site of some of the defining moments in Kansas State football history. And you think about starting off in 1996 as Bill Snyder is really getting into the, the meteoric rise of his program. And I think regionally there's a, an immense amount of respect for what he had done in his first handful of seasons when K-State was in the Big 8, getting them from the dumpster fire that it was in the, in the late 80s to where it, wa- uh, where it was in 1993, getting the first bowl win in program history in the Copper Bowl, and then stringing together three straight appearances with the Copper Bowl, Aloha Bowl, and then Holiday Bowl. In 1996, K-State enters into the Big 12. I'm sure there's, in, in, in Texas media circles, there's probably some 
some scoffing that's taking place about whether or not Kansas State can hang with these big, bad Southwest football conference programs and if the Wildcats have a, a comparable level of talent. And what does K-State do during that 96 season? Well, they go into Kyle Field and pick up a huge win over Texas A&M, who was damn near unbeatable in College Station back in those days. And K-State finishes that year at 9-2 and two and gets a bid to the Cotton Bowl, which New Year's Day bowls have always carried a lot more weight. And I know a lot of people like to downplay bowl games now, but the Cotton Bowl still means a lot. And, and back then, it, it held certainly much more sway than it did now. Now, while K-State did come up short in that game against BYU, that still, I think, to some folks, illustrated the fact that the program had really a lot, uh, arrived and that this wasn't just a flash in the pan. The other thing that was happening to Gary Barnett had some good seasons with Northwestern, and he ended up going to a Rolls Bowl with them, and then Northwestern just kind of faded back into obscurity. And I think a lot of people were kind of conflating what K-State was doing with what Northwestern was doing. And I think that underscored, hey, this program is here to stick around. And that was obviously in the string of 11 consecutive bowl appearances for Kansas state. And that was really just the beginning of the Wildcats turning into the monster that they became in the late nineties and early two thousands. So you had that first appearance in the cotton bowl in in 1996, 97, the game was technically played new year's day, 97 A few years later, K state loses in the big 12 championship game to Oklahoma, but the cats earn a bid to the cotton bowl they hammer a pretty good Tennessee team that was chalked with NFL talent. And that was obviously a great moment in K-State football history. You have to wait another decade between then and the next appearance in the Metroplex, but the Wildcats in 2011, that season where they could just do no wrong in those one-score games, you have the pep rally leading up to that game with the announcement of the West Stadium Center to be constructed. And and obviously that game, while K-State again came up short against Arkansas in that Cotton Bowl to to get the standalone stage against Arkansas, to to be able to announce breaking ground on, on, on a new facility and that season and going 10 and three that season and going to the cotton bowl was huge. And it really served as the springboard into 2012, which was obviously the big 12 championship season for Kansas state. And now here, just a few years later, once again, back talking about the wildcats going into the Metroplex with an opportunity to make a statement and K state is playing with house money in this game. It sounds like regardless of whether K-State wins or loses, they are going to the Sugar Bowl. Now, I, 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 I've been around way too long, and I do not believe anything any bowl representative or anybody is going to tell me until I see it after the college football playoff committee has announced its four teams, and then the New Year's Six have made their selections. I will not believe K-State is going to the Sugar until I see that, because... There's far too much bullshit that can go on behind the scenes. I think about 1998 with K-State finishing the top four in the BCS and getting passed over by BCS Bowls, getting passed over by the Cotton Bowl, getting passed over by the Holiday Bowl, which picked ahead of the Alamo Bowl. I think about the 2011 season. When K-State, I know at that time, I mentioned just a few moments ago, going to the Cotton Bowl was obviously a huge experience, but everybody wanted the the opportunity to go to the Sugar because more than anything else, it, it was a chance to play in a new 
new venue, a new BCS bowl game that the and go to a city that K-State had never been in before. I know Wildcat fans were really amped for that opportunity and they likely would have squared off with Michigan in that stage. That was that would have been a huge game for Kansas State and unfortunately they get passed over in that game for Virginia Tech which lost in the ACC Championship game and became the first conference championship participant to lose but also get invited to a BCS bowl game. Uh, again, guys, th- there's there's too much. I've seen too much. I know too much. And, and and again, I will not feel comfortable about K-State going to the Sugar until I see it on that Sunday after the playoff rankings have been released. So that being said, though, K-State, as I mentioned, playing with house money in this game, TCU, it, it sucks for the Horn Frogs because I genuinely do feel that they should be all but a certainty in the playoff, especially now with Ohio State having just gotten smacked around by Michigan. Ohio State's not going to be playing for a Big Ten championship. They're just going to be watching. You have USC lurking around there at 11-1, and and don't think for a second that the committee isn't trying to work up some voodoo magic and generate some BS numbers that will somehow, someway prop up Nick Saban's Alabama and, and use some made-up metric that that they've come up with on the fly to to somehow, someway convey Alabama as a stronger team, as a better team than TCU. Guys, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm just too skeptical and I'm too paranoid about too much here, but this is just genuinely how I feel about all this. I, I think a, a 12-1 and TCU should absolutely be three or four. We know Georgia and Michigan are in regardless, but TCU should absolutely be in. But I, I, I sadly, I just don't feel like the Horn Frogs are going to get the benefit of the doubt. I feel like they're in a position where they absolutely have to win this game and they have to do it. Honestly, I think the committee's wanting to see a more decisive victory. We all know the narrative surrounding TCU this season has just been the Horn Frogs escaping in all these one score games. And I, I think that's going to put an added amount of pressure on Sonny Dyke's squad. And, and frankly, obviously, I, I like that for Kansas State. I think this team will go in and play free and loose. I think the guys, I know the coaches mentioned that there's been a flu bug that had kind of been circulating around the roster the, uh, in the week leading up to KU. I think another week will allow that, obviously, to run its course, hopefully pass through, and the guys are as, as healthy as they possibly can be going into this matchup. And there's there's a lot of fun angles and fun wrinkles to talk about in this one. We, we've we never really been in a position. You have to go back a long time, obviously, to talk about a rematch. You have to go all the way back to that 2000 game. K-State faced off against Oklahoma in the regular season and lost by 10 in Manhattan, and they squared off against them again with uh, an arrowhead with a chance to win the Big 12 championship, and they came up short in that game by a field goal. So unique circumstances for Kansas State, but still exciting times for this football program. Could not be more thrilled for all of those guys, Coach Kleiman on down, the staff, and everybody in between. Great job staying the course this year, not getting distracted by the outside chatter, as I said in the days leading up to this game, and and not getting distracted throughout the course of this season as well. When people are upset with Adrian Martinez and people are mad that K-State gagged a lead against TCU and they, they lost a close home game against Texas, I think it really does go to show you and underscore how strong that locker room is. And again, I know we're a couple days removed here from Thanksgiving, but 
beyond grateful to have all of those great personalities and strong leaders in that Kansas State locker room. Those guys deserved that win against KU. They deserved the opportunity to win a Big 12 championship. And we're going to talk much more about that game in our preview episode that we'll put out for you later on this week. Plenty to cover in the days leading up to the Wildcats rematch against the Horned Frogs. But with all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you guys so much for listening on your preferred app. Greatly appreciate all the downloads, all the support that you've given us throughout the course of this season. It's been a wonderful ride. And again, hopefully we'll have a couple of more entertaining games to talk about here as we get set to close the book on the 2022 Kansas State football season. So thank you guys once again. Subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. It's available on all the major platforms. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. With all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close this one out the way that I always do. Cats, man, if you know, you know. There's only one thing left to do. What's that? Win the whole fucking thing. Wow. <laughs>